Listener Production. Hello, I'm Jan Fran. Welcome to The Briefing. With me is Katrina Blowers. It's the first time that we're doing the show together, Katrina. This is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) How's the wake up this morning? Was it all right? You know, it was a little more brutal because I'm on Queensland time, so an hour (laughs) earlier, but I'm embracing it. (laughs) You're feeling good, jumping on in. You bet. Well, today on the show, hey, this is very relevant to both you and I in this moment, Katrina. I'm so effing tired. That's not just how I feel on the reg these days, but also it's actually the title of a new book that we're going to be diving into. I love the name of this book and I think it's something a lot of people can relate to. In 2020, our rates of burnout and fatigue have risen 33%. This is on top of the epidemic levels that was already before 2020. So we're just adding to the fatigue and burnout epidemic. Yeah, if you're feeling it too, bit of fatigue, bit of burnout, just stay tuned to find out why we're all so effing tired and what we can do about it. But first, the headlines. I guess this is what everyone has been waiting for. Buckingham Palace has now responded to that interview that Harry and Meghan made with Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, the palace released a statement overnight, moments ago, actually. Um, I'm going to read out the whole thing because it is pretty short. The statement says the whole family is saddened to learn the extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan and Archie will always be much-loved family members. So that was the statement that the palace put out. Um, There's no mention of an investigation into the claims, which given that they did announce an investigation last week into allegations that Megan bullied staff. I think it was perhaps anticipated that they might be looking into these allegations, but they have just said they're going to deal with it privately as a family. Isn't that language interesting too? They've already flagged that some recollections may vary, so they're sort of putting it out there already that, uh, you know, they've thrown a bit of shade on the interview already. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's not a great time for the palace, is it, either? Prince Philip is in his third week in hospital. You know, he's almost 100. I think if you are that old and you're spending that time in hospital, it can't be good. So they're probably also dealing with a bit of that as well. And during their interview with Oprah, both Harry and Meghan claimed that a member of the royal family had questioned what colour skin their son Archie would have. And Oprah later told America's CBS Harry had told her that those comments had not been made by either Prince Philip or the Queen. Yeah, that's the um, recollections may vary line (laughs) that they're referring to there in the statement. This wouldn't be a royal scandal if we didn't hear from Meghan Markle's father, Thomas. Uh, He's also weighed in on the controversy, hitting back at his daughter and Harry's claims of racism within the royal family. I don't think the British uh, royal family are uh, racist uh, at all. I don't think the British are racist. I think uh, Los Angeles is racist. California is racist. So that was Mr Markle there speaking to a show called Good Morning Britain. He said that the comments from a member of the family concerning Harry and Meghan's son uh, were probably misinterpreted by the couple. Uh, I'm guessing and hoping it's just a dumb question from somebody. You know, uh, it could just be that simple. It could be somebody asked a stupid question uh, rather than being a total racist. Yeah, so this is, I think, just adding 
A little bit more to the drama here. So Megan is estranged from her father. They don't have a very good relationship at all. He's spoken to the press. What she says is against her will or without telling her. And here he's appearing, as I said earlier on Good Morning Britain, which is a show hosted by Piers Morgan, who's been very outspoken about um, his dislike, I suppose, of the way Harry and Megan have um, proceeded with this interview. So he's very much, I suppose, on the side of the palace and the father appears to be on the side of the palace. So a very polarising situation here. (laughs) Indeed. I know. How do you even describe that? But look, I think another interesting um, side angle to this is that it could revive the push for a republic in Australia. And indeed, we've already heard from people like Malcolm Turnbull saying that this whole episode shows how out of touch this family in crisis is. If the palace doesn't respond in a way that I guess is palatable for everyone, particularly on these racism claims, Mm. who knows what the this could mean for another tilt at mm. a republic in Australia. What's his catchphrase? Too much drama, let's become a republic. <laughs> mm. Let's rework. Well, the number of prominent politicians on health leave has now risen to four after Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt revealed yesterday he is in hospital with a suspected infection. His announcement came last night after a morning where Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews was taken to hospital by paramedics with broken ribs after a fall. Yeah, and this is all happening as Attorney-General Christian Porter spends his second week on mental health leave uh, after denying racism allegations, as well as Defence Minister Linda Reynolds, who has also been absent from Federal Cabinet. Um, She extends her leave until next month. She was admitted into hospital for a heart condition. Despite all of this, though, the PM said yesterday that he has a good team and they're ready to go. I'm just very pleased uh, that in the case where we have two ministers who are who are, have had to stand down for health reasons, I can talk. To, I can turn to two very good other female cabinet ministers who can competently take up their jobs. And of course, as prime minister, I, I maintain a very close watch on all of these issues, chairing the National Security Committee, as you would expect me to do. The PM says though that he doesn't know when Christian Porter is going to be returning to Parliament. And he has also refused to support an independent inquiry into the allegations made against Mr Porter, um, allegations that he raped someone in 1988. Scott Morrison says that there are existing judicial processes and that they are adequate. They don't need to go down another route there. But they have been growing calls for an independent inquiry, and this is growing calls from right across the political spectrum as well. Absolutely. He has said, though, that he will support a uh, South Australian coronial inquiry into Mm. the circumstances around that complainant's death, Uh, a move also backed by Julie Bishop this week. So we'll have to wait and see how that one unfolds. Academic Carly Moore-Gilbert says she experienced psychological torture at the hands of Iranian authorities who also tried to convince her to become a spy for the country while she was imprisoned there. Ms Moore-Gilbert spent more than two years in an Iranian jail before being released last year. The first room I was put in, I would say, is the extreme solitary confinement room designed to break you. It's psychological torture. Yeah, that was uh, Ms Moore Gilbert speaking to Melissa Doyle there on Sky News and she described her cell as a box. She said that she was beaten and injected with tranquilizers by her captors as well. You go completely insane. It is so damaging. I would say I felt physical pain from the 
the psychological trauma I had in that room. Yeah, she also um, said that there were members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard who approached her multiple times with the offer to release her if she agreed to spy for the country. I, I cannot, I mean, I followed this story as, as closely as what I could. I just, I could not imagine what she went through. She, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison and, and she spent two. So there's a, you know, there's a bit of saving grace there, but even spending two years in what was deemed one of the harshest prisons in the world as well is just, yeah, she just must be so bloody relieved to be back in Australia. What, what an extraordinary story. It reads like a Hollywood movie script. She even revealed how she made a, a rooftop escape and spent 20 minutes uh, free before being recaptured by the guards. So she really gave it her all. An incredible woman. All right. Thanks, Kat. Uh, up next with me is Annika. We're talking about why we're so effing tired. Hello, I'm Annika. And I'm tired, <laughs> which is not my name, but it is my constant state of being. I found that there's something about this year in particular. Annika, I don't know if you felt particularly tired this year, but I am drained every day. I've got a theory on this. It could be about being forced to slow down a little bit. So leading into COVID, I was like living in the fast lane and then I had to slow down. Mm. And I think that that sort of made me almost more tired. But like it catches up with you. It does. And like you, I've just ramped up again. I am always tired. Look, I'll give credit to us. We do do an early morning podcast. That's true. That but is always going to I mean, there's also like the... Aside from COVID, the news cycle, which just Mm. seems to be so pervasive, there's work that bleeds into your home life in a way that it never used to. Always being contacted. We're always being contacted. No, but that's true. The emails you get during your leisure time is something that didn't happen, you know, five or ten years ago. Social media is constant. And I find that it's exhausting me. Mm -hmm. So today on The Briefing... We're not just going to complain about how tired we're feeling. We can. Even though we could. (laughs) Yeah. No, we totally could. Just start me. But we're actually going to try and work out what we can do right now to get more energy and to actually find a clearer head as well. Dr. Amy Shah is a medical doctor. She's a nutritionist and she's a graduate of the Harvard Medical School among an amazing amount of things she's done on her CV. But importantly... She has a new book which might be able to help us. It's called I'm So Effin' Tired. Very apt title. Amy, <laughs> welcome. Why am I so effin' tired? This is a great question. So many women especially, I mean, 70% of women feel burned out and tired. This is compared to 50% of men. So we know that they, we are more burned out and tired than others. So part of it is nature and part of it is nurture, meaning that it's our environment that's demanding so much from us. And it's also our biology. We're wired differently than men. Is this a 2020 thing though? We've all had a pretty rough year with COVID globally. Mm. It's been a nightmare. Has that made us more tired? Absolutely. In 2020, our rates of burnout and fatigue have risen 33%. This is on top of the epidemic levels that was already before 2020. So we're just adding to the fatigue and burnout epidemic with what's happened in the last year. So I get the 2020 thing because I I definitely feel more tired having gone through the last year. But I was experiencing it 
um, quite a bit prior to that as well. And I just put it down to, I don't know, modern life, social media, working all the time, not really having an off button. Like what is it that is making us feel this way? This is such a great question and a question I answer in the book. It is partially the responsibilities that we've been given by society, uh, but it's also because we've lost some of the lifestyle and food habits. We've changed what we eat. We've changed when we eat. We've changed our stress management techniques. These are things that we need to work on again to get our energy back in check. When you say we've changed them, changed them from what? Hundreds of years ago, over time, our society has built a 24-7 society where we get, you know, exposure to bright blue lights late at night. We get exposure to food late at night where we're eating and eating late into the evening when our bodies have very specific clocks programmed in every one of our cells. We cannot be digesting and studying and we can't be doing everything all the time. So our bodies are very finely tuned so that during the daylight hours, our metabolisms are on and working very well. And so is our attention. But when you start to eat late at night, when you start to expose yourself to blue light late at night, the body starts to get confused. And then the next day, you almost feel like a jet lag effect. And Mm. that's what's making us tired. During COVID, I started to eat a little bit better because I was doing a lot more home cooking, eating earlier because I was working from home. And I think I felt better. And you say that nutrition is really important as part of this. And it's part of your plan to beat burnout. So how do we do that? How do we reclaim our lives, Dr. Amy? You know, the nutrition advice is so confusing. So what I did in the book is really boil it down to a few things that are going to make the biggest difference in your life. One of those things is eating more prebiotic fiber. Now, this sounds so fancy, but it's really what's contained naturally in vegetables because we have these bacteria in our gut that decide when we're um, inflamed, that help our body decide when we're tired and when we're energetic. And when this bacteria gets the food that they need, that which is prebiotic fiber, they are better able to send signals to the brain that things are going well. And so hang healthy. on, just to clarify, this is prebiotic, not probiotic, both of which I don't actually know what they mean. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So prebiotic, what I'm talking about is actually much more important than probiotics because this is actual food for the bacteria that are already living in your gut. So it's almost like growing the very, very beneficial seedlings um, in our own gut garden instead of probiotics, which are actually just adding bacteria that may or may not stick around in our own uh, GI tract. So prebiotics is tending to your own garden. And it really does mean that when you grow these good gut bacteria, you will feel more energetic, you'll have better digestion, you'll have better hormone balance. So that's a big pillar of my plan. And then I also talk about a hormone balancing chai. Chai is a mixture of tea and spices that are anti-inflammatory, that calm your immune system. When you take down inflammation, you automatically get more energy. When you sort of talk about prebiotic food, like can you just rattle off some of the examples of food that we should be eating to tend to our own garden? Uh, I love that. Yes. Prebiotic foods are things like onions, garlic, 
asparagus. Um, these are, you know, vegetable fibers, um, the stalks of broccoli. It's really just common foods. There's really not a lot of superfoods, but prebiotics are contained in most fibrous vegetables. Mm. What about fasting? So going back to circadian rhythms, right? So our bodies need natural light, you know, daylight to know it's morning and that makes us more energetic. And then it needs darkness and refraining from eating to know that it's time to go into repair and renewal mode. So when you eat late at night, you're shortchanging that process. It's like waking your brain up in the middle of the night and asking it to do a complex math problem. Obviously, it's going to make mistakes. You're going to feel groggy in the morning. And if you do that every night, you're going to have many, many long-term effects. So that's how I think of circadian fasting. Circadian fasting is simply giving our body the overnight rest it needs. Most moderners are eating 16 hours a day and then only resting their gut for eight hours on average. But what I'm saying is we got to increase that to at least 12 hours, if not 14 or 15 hours a night in order for our body to really rejuvenate its GI tract and the rest of our metabolism. Amy, I'm no doctor here. You are. But surely if we're tired, we just need to sleep more. So how do we get enough sleep? How much is enough sleep? And when do we sleep? This is a great question. Of course, sleep is essential to energy. Uh, anyone who has not slept for a few days knows that they feel uh, lethargic and pretty much in a bad mood. So what I recommend is that getting seven to nine hours of sleep most days of the week. Now, I understand that many, mm. many people have young children and circumstances. So I say aim for three to four days a week of good sleep. And if you can't do that, take a 20-minute power nap on the weekends to catch up with that sleep. This is an essential part in not only more energy, but just in long-term health. And it's a power nap, right? Like, am I taking a, 20 minutes or can I take a two-hour nap? Is there a difference? Yes. 20 minutes is what you really want to do to energize yourself without disturbing your sleep the next night. So I recommend no longer than 40 minutes. So between 20 and 40 minutes and then get up and then you'll be able to sleep again at night. And can anybody do this? Like, are some people just more um, able to cope with stress or, or change their lives better than others? Absolutely. Women seem to be wired to feel more stressed. I talk a lot about how our hormone levels are different at different times of the month. If you are someone who is on a 28-day cycle, that last week before your period, you'll definitely feel a dip in your energy. And that is more hormonal than anything. One thing I wanted to ask is sort of what you touched on there is, how do I recognize this is working? What factors should I look for to see that I'm on the right path here? You check, one, of course, how energetic you feel. But then the second is, how's your sleep? How's your cravings? Basically, checking in with yourself about your sleep, your fatigue, your cravings, and your ability to do the things that you want to do. That was Dr. Amy Shah there uh, explaining why we're so effing tired and what we could possibly do about it. And I love that we didn't really even get into the exercise component. (laughs) I guess you don't have to exercise. It's just interesting that it's sleep and gut health. I would have never really 
considered those two things in terms of alleviating tiredness, but I'm certainly going to do that moving forward. <laughs> I had a thought about sleep, Jan, uh, to alleviate tiredness, actually, but you're right about the food thing. Uh, I think I eat on the run and I don't eat when I'm hungry. I eat when I can, mm. and that is a problem. Yeah. I did say you didn't have to exercise. That's a total lie. You do have to exercise. Sorry about it. (laughs) All right, that's our show for today. Tomorrow we are talking about, wait for it, Australia's defamation laws. Why we couldn't name the alleged perpetrator of rape until he outed himself. We're going to take a look at uh, some of the laws around defamation. If you'd like to get in touch with us at the briefing as well, if you have an idea please do so. Go to our Instagram page and send us a message. It's as simple as that. We have our people waiting on social media to hear from you as well. Um, This is The Briefing. I'm Jan Fran. I'll join you tomorrow. Bye. Listener.